Well, good afternoon. This is your host, Kimberly Martin, and I'm happy to be in the studio today because it's exciting when people listen to our show and then call in and tell us, hey, we know somebody you need to be talking to. I don't know if you remember, but a couple of weeks ago, we did an interview about a great organization called Senior Serve. They are the organization that helps to deliver hot meals for seniors that are housebound and can't get out. And they were telling Real People OC about their upcoming Hero Awards and asking us to nominate individuals that were standouts um, in our community that um, giving giving care caregiving arena for elderly community members. So um, they were asking us, hey, you know, we want to get the word out and let as many people nominate those caregivers as we can. Anybody that helps seniors, volunteers, be, be that as they may. But Senior Serve, definitely um, definitely an interesting organization doing a really meaningful, uh, meaningful service for our community. So it did spark some discussion about this difficult and often um, confusing time in life for our elder loved ones. And um, so I received a request to the show uh, that uh, we have on our next guest, uh, come into the studio to help us parse out why par- our parents' lives become so complicated towards the end stage of their lives and what we need to know to navigate our way through that. He is an attorney and an estate planner. Uh, his name is Scott Feig, and Scott is a member of the California State Bar and the California State Bar Estates Section, Orange County Bar Association Estates Section, and the California Lung, Young Lawyers Association. Uh, he's a graduate here at Western State University College of Law. And um, he's also received the distinguished honors of earning six Witkin Awards for the highest academic achievement in uh, the subject, specific subject of law. So um, prior to earning his Juris Doctorate, summa cum laude, he was an educator for 17 years. And having taught English for nearly two decades, Hey, can you be part of the Young Lawyers Association if you've done anything for two decades? <laughs> I guess we'll let Scott tell us. He's laughing. But um, anyway, he really understands the nuances of politics that are often associated with educational settings. And uh, that experience, coupled with a broad legal knowledge, establishes him as a strong legal advocate for families. So he's going to talk to us today about some of these issues that crop up really difficult issues to talk to with your own family and he's going to give us some strategies and uh, some talking points to do that with our family so scott feig welcome to real people oc thank you for coming oh thank you so much kim for having me on today very much appreciate it i'm glad you're here this is a tough topic why is it so difficult i think part of it is that uh, it's usually nearing the end of someone's life that they're planning for you know, the two things they're really planning for very often with estate planning is incapacity, which is a hard thing really to face and to stop and visualize that occurring in your life, as well as your actual death. And uh, a lot of times, a, a lot of family situations are very complex, you know, whether it's uh, difficult with some adult children and uh, someone's not quite sure how to distribute their assets ultimately. And uh, it's something that's hard to face for a lot of people, but ultimately, it's inevitable. I mean, you know, it's going to happen. We're we're going to pass. It is the one sure thing, isn't it? That and taxes, we yes. say, right? Yes, that's so true. Well, um, so by way of some background, you offer workshops to help educate the community. Can you tell us a little bit about those and 
how people can find out about those? Sure, sure. Well, my website is feiglawfirm.com, uh, and I offer workshops at my office in the conference room. This is usually displayed up on my website. Uh, the workshops start with, you know, just estate planning 101, just trying to educate people about what type of estate plans are out there, whether it's something as simplified as a will that can work for them, or a more uh, complex type of estate plan, a trust, and so forth, which we'll talk about. And I also speak out at different senior centers, which is up there throughout the community. So in the last month, I was out at Vintage in Newport and Del Obispo Terrace, and also at the Ezra Center, and recently also at uh, Newport Beach Plaza. So oh, very good. And your practice is here in Irvine, right? Correct. Okay, good. How long have you been here? Uh, it's funny. I just went out on my own, I would say, about four months ago. Okay. But it's something that uh, I wanted to do for a while, and that was the mission. So uh, we just uh, hit the ground running, and we've been uh, loving it, you know, since. Oh, very good. Now, you're a chamber member, Irvine Chamber of Commerce and Rotary member. Correct. Um, that's important because it's really important to be involved in your community. Um, but I noticed that you said you taught Tai Chi to the elderly. Tell me about that experience. Sure, sure. Uh, I don't teach Tai Chi anymore at this point. I think uh, being a lawyer, you might need it. Yeah. Well, I still practice it, but I don't think I have the time to actually teach it anymore. So I've been practicing Tai Chi for about 22 years. Uh, I learned through uh, a traditional school where they were teaching Tai Chi and Kung Fu. I went through the whole system. And, uh, you know, working with seniors has always been important to me, you know, through high school and volunteering in the key club. And then uh, so just as a you know regular thing on Friday afternoon, I would go to a senior center. I would teach Tai Chi for an hour. I did that probably for about seven years. I think it's key for helping seniors with their balance, understanding their body uh, and just the, the exercise that's involved. Right. Right. So, so important. So, okay, let's talk about this concept of an estate. What is an estate? Okay, so I, I think very often, and when I begin some of my workshops or even when I sit down and talk with clients, uh, a lot of times the first reaction we'll get someone is, well, I don't have an estate. And I think people's image of, images of an estate is owning three homes, a boat. You know, very often we see on TV the... Uh, you know, the will reading of the rich uncle, you know, with the lawyer opening up, uh, you know, the, the will and everyone gathered around, you know, sitting on the edge of the seat wondering what they're going to get, you know, from these riches. But an estate is really a fancy word of just saying the things that you own. Uh, your house is part of your estate. Uh, your golf club's a part of your estate. Your wedding band is part of your estate. Your stocks, your bonds, anything. Sometimes I'll say it's things you can put into a box. Intangibles are part of your estates. If you have a partnership and a business interest, that's part of your estate. So the question is then, what's going to happen to your estate? One, if you become incapacitated, sadly, if that occurs, or on your death, what's the plan for those things? Do we want to design it ourselves with an attorney, or do we want to pass without any design, you know, and ultimately leave it to the state of how that's distributed? Well, that raises a really interesting question. You said ultimately leave it to the state as to how it's distributed. That's pretty risky, isn't it? it Would you advocate that anybody leave it to the state to well, figure it out? Well, let me clarify. Right. So as far as the state figuring it out, 
it's not in the state's ultimate discretion to decide when you pass without any type of estate plan where your property goes. So when you pass without any type of estate plan, I'll use a fancy word, it's called dying intestate. Okay. And then the statute, the probate code, has a scheme of the way your property ultimately is distributed in California. So I won't get too legal with it, but I'll just you know keep it kind of simple. So generally, if you pass without an estate plan and you die intestate, your property would pass to what we call your issue. So let's just say your issue first would be your children. And then any children that were deceased would go to their children, would be your grandchildren. But it could get kind of complex in California because we have different types of property. We have separate property and we also have community property. And here's a situation that becomes troubling to some people. If you're married and you have no children, but you have living parents and you pass, well, a portion of your property is going to go to your spouse. This is dying intestate. And a portion of your property is going to go to your parents. That may not be exactly what people have would have planned or would have wanted. Generally, people leave very often everything to their surviving spouse. So it's important to really figure out you know, how you want this to, uh, how you want your property to be distributed. And an estate plan is really the key. Okay. <clears throat> That's shocking news that the state would choose to give it, you know, up to the parents and not to the spouse. Um, that's very interesting. That's totally illuminating. Too. Yeah, I think for a lot of people <laughs> when, uh, when I drop that. They're like, whoa, that's not what I meant. Um, okay, so really an estate is saying, okay, this is what we intend to do. Does it have to be a complex legal process? Does it have to be a, a difficult, long, drawn-out thing? Or what, what is this process for somebody? No, you know, it, it doesn't. And for every person, it's a different situation. You know, the key, you know, and I, I tell, you know, prospective clients this all the time or when I speak out at senior centers or, you know, at the, the, re, the senior resource fair I was just at in Lake Forest, whether you work with me or someone else, I cannot just continually recommend that you work with an attorney, an attorney who's who understands, you know, estate planning. So it could be as simple as putting together a will. And, and that's a great first start for people. The thing with a will is very often a will goes through probate. Is a will different then from an estate Well, a will uh, is the plan? first step of your estate plan. Okay. So if I put together a will, in my will, my will becomes effective when I pass. So in my will, I would direct where I want I would want my property to go. That's a great first start. But if I pass just with my will, there's something called the probate court. Just like we have criminal courts, right, when someone commits a crime. Uh, we have uh, civil litigation where there's a car accident, someone sues someone else, and we have small claims court, you know, when we're dealing with smaller things. Uh, a probate court, amongst other things, is when someone passes. And if there's a will, generally that goes through probate. There are times there are what we call, I'll, I'll keep it without the legal terms, but these quick summary procedures. We could in and out of probate very quickly without the, the major expense. But often when a will goes through probate, it could be very costly. Mm. So what a lot of people do is not just set up the will, but they set up what we call the trust. And that, I think, is a very amorphous concept, you know, for many people. 
Okay. So take us through what the trust sure. is. Sure. I had That's a feeling that a... question was following. Yes. So a trust, and I'll keep this, you know, I'll stay away from legal terms here just to really guide people. We'll call a trust something like a more sophisticated will. And the way California law is set up is that when someone sets up a trust, that through their trust, they're able, is what we call a non-probate asset, a non-probate device. So through their trust, they're able to give away their property at their passing without it going through probate, ideally. That's the plan with a well-structured trust. What's wonderful about a trust, too, is that during someone's lifetime, if they become incapacitated, the trustee, the someone, the person that will manage their trust if that happens. So let's say like for me, right, during if I become incapacitated, let's say my wife then would be the trustee to continue to manage the property. Let's say she wasn't there to manage my property, and we're talking about dealing with the mortgage, dealing with the house, dealing with all my assets. It may be a sibling of mine that would step in and that would be the trustee for that property. Okay. All right. Now, you said a really interesting phrase. You said a well-structured trust. What could cause a, a trust not to be well-structured? Okay. And where it ends up back into the hands of the probate court. Sure. So the, the key here is really to ask the right questions. So... While you're developing the trust. While we're developing the trust. And there's a lot of personal questions that when I sit down with the client or uh, many attorneys that when they sit down with the client, they have to probe to really learn about the family situation. There may be children from a, their prior marriage where there's a blended family. Uh, a, there may be children from a, a, not a marriage, but from a prior relationship. So the idea is... The idea is, how do we get, let me see how I can word this. Sometimes the. Sometimes it's a difficult situation to discuss between the husband and wife when there are children from other marriages or other relationships. So asking the right questions and learning how this property is to be distributed could stop a possible contest later on. Because if a child is left out, let's say a child from another marriage or another relationship is left out of the estate plan, that could then end up in the probate court because that child who was left out could then contest what we call a, like a premitted heir, that he or she was not included in the estate plan from the parents. Okay. So in a way, by hiring somebody to do this process for you, it's a little bit like having a therapist ask those tough questions of you so you don't have to ask them of each other is that correct yeah you know that's a good way to put it you know and very often I'll talk with people and they'll and and, and I, I really take this to heart they'll thank me for really taking the time to understand that family dynamic and it's not just punching in you know the data you know another thing that comes up very often is uh, special needs planning which a lot of people don't think about you mean special needs child right or? so if you have a special needs child Right. During your lifetime, while your, your child is still a child and not 18 years old, they may not re be receiving any government benefits because your wealth in itself may be deeming to your child. But when that child turns 18, and let's say your child has Down syndrome, okay, or some type of, uh, you know, development disability, that when that child turns 18, that child is likely to become eligible 
for government benefits, possibly SSI, Supplemental Security Income, and with that, Medi-Cal. And then what happens is if you leave your property through your trust or even through your will outright to that adult child, now that adult child has assets that likely could make that adult child ineligible for government benefits. That they likely need because they're specialized and tailored to their needs. Correct. So what I often do is I'll help someone set up what we call a special needs trust. So in addition to the trust during their lifetime, when they pass, their property won't go outright to their children. I know it's hard to imagine. It's kind of amorphous, like this trust thing. But your property basically is all kept to the side. It's floating out there in a bubble above everybody. You know, that's a great <laughs> way to put it. And and the legal terms that we use is you're the settler or you're the trustee, the trustor. The person during your lifetime, you're the trustee because you're the one uh, managing your trust and the beneficiary is the one receiving the benefits of the trust. That's a simple word to work with. So what happens is when you pass, you have a trustee now taking care of your special needs adult child who's the beneficiary and funneling. And what we call is we are not supplanting what they're receiving for government benefits, but we're just supplementing. Ah. And that is a wonderful way where your child can be taken care of in the best interest that you design, but still receive, especially Medi-Cal. If that adult child has Medi-Cal, insurance is very expensive. We want to hang on to that Medi-Cal. Right. Oh, so critical, that decision. So it's almost, what you're saying is it's almost like the estate is up in the cloud. You know, we're all coming used to that as a, as a reference. We're putting all our most important documents and files in the cloud. And in many respects, that's kind of maybe what where the trust is floating around in the same space. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And that's funny. Sometimes I will use the image of it floating up there you yeah. know, when I speak to people. And before I was an attorney, it was hard for me as, as well to understand the concept of the way, you know, a trust functions. Right. So it's important, you know, to sit down and walk people through it very slowly so they understand, you know, how this ultimately will play out for them. Right, right. Okay. Well, so if you're just tuning in, uh, this is Kimberly Martin, and I'm your host of Real People OC, and we air each and every Thursdays from 4 to 5. Uh, we've been here for quite a long time, and um, I enjoy bringing interesting people to you, just like what we have today. Scott Feig, he is with the Feig Law Firm. That's F-E-I-G lawfirm.com. If you want to find out some interesting information about courses that you can take to learn more about this. And are these are free courses that you offer for oh, people? Of course. Yeah. yeah. I think it's very important that people can learn a little bit before ultimately uh, committing. Okay. So why would somebody want to go to an attorney, let's say, instead of just going to grab an estate or a will off of LegalZoom, let's say? Okay. So I'm not going to knock LegalZoom. Or I shouldn't name no, names, but fine. let's say services that are out there offering um, quick template legal documents. Okay. One, uh, working, I, I think a lot of it goes without saying, but uh, working with an attorney who's experienced and understands the law because there are a number of situations that can come up that if you don't work with an attorney, the trust or the, the will that you've set up may be ineffective. And we don't want that to happen. We want the trust to play out correctly at someone's death. And it's being able to ask those questions. 
So here's a situation that comes up. We have a husband and wife. They've developed their estate plan. And what they have set up in their trust is that when uh, husband passes, all property goes to wife. And if wife passes, then all property goes to husband. And then, and that's what we call the survivor's trust. And then when the survivor of them passes, that property will go down, let's say, to their adult children. Pretty typical plan. They've set that plan up, let's say, 15 years ago. And now, at this point in time, they're in their 80s, and wife is in uh, an assisted uh, uh, facility, a nursing care facility, and she looks like she'll be going into a skilled nursing facility soon. And the family would like her to become eligible for Medi-Cal and government benefits. Well, if husband passes and a property goes outright now to wife at this point, she loses that eligibility. So now we're scrambling on whether we can fix this situation because if someone's on Medi-Cal, they want to hang on to that, that Medi-Cal and uh, the benefits that re- they're receiving to stay in this facility. So we need to have beforehand right? We want to like preempt this, right? The old adage, uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? We want to preempt this and set up some type of what we would call in this situation, most likely a first party special needs trust where we can keep wife eligible if husband passes, just like for the special needs child, it doesn't become an outright distribution. Could someone who's not an attorney set that up? I, I wouldn't recommend that. I think that's something that an attorney is skilled at. Right, right. Certainly trained for. So, okay. So y- you can see the value of everybody, the nuances of everybody's different life scenario. So you covered um, a simple scenario and the special needs planning. Boy, that's a big one, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's a tough one, I think, for a lot of people to face. I think they're facing a number of situations there. I think facing your own mortality uh, I mean, for some people, I'll, I'll, I'll question and, you know, they're ready to face it. And a lot of people have a hard time. And I also think the idea that these parents have been taking care of their, their special needs child throughout the childhood and then throughout adulthood. And the idea that the parent is going to pass and leave this child and who is going to take care of my special needs adult child the same way that I do is the question. And that troubles many, many uh, parents. It probably keeps them up at night. I can't even imagine. So, okay, we've covered the will. We've covered the trust. Now, there are other key components to that life plan, that estate plan that we've been talking about. Um, can we talk about the Advanced Healthcare Directive? Sure, sure. <clears throat> so, tell, us, tell our listeners what that is. Okay. So a lot of us may have seen something where we, before we go into the, as we are admitted to the hospital, possibly for surgery, and we end up signing something that uh, gives a power of attorney or an agent to someone in the event that we become incapacitated uh, regarding our health care. Simple things, you know, we, not to be crude, but do we want the plug pulled or how much uh, hydration do we want to receive to a particular period of time uh, if we lose our cognitive functions and we want to appoint an agent. So what our advanced health care directive does, it's really preparing for that time of uh, incapacity if it occurs. And it lists out our wishes of how we want our health care ultimately taken care of. And it is a huge document, and it comes into play so strongly often when there's an aging uh, person 
and they have a number of adult children and their adult children may disagree on how mom should be receiving health care during the time when she becomes incapacitated and it could be an emergency moment you know and son may say no mom has to stay on the hydration and then daughter may say you know absolutely not I know her wishes so to have your wishes beforehand to appoint an agent right that the hospital then must follow is huge because it's very important to people and a number of other things as far as uh, it would dictate whether or not we would permit an autopsy right in some religions there are no autopsies you know in, in Judaism uh, generally to you know stick with the the general understanding of it uh, we have concerns where uh, some religions there are no blood transfusions so these are very important things you know to have down on paper to have your wishes down to have an agent have control of that and to make sure that's followed through such a difficult time too and people don't prepare for this really in any meaningful way um, can you offer some other resources other than just um, going to see an attorney for that advanced health care directive for people to parse out together some of those issues do you have any um, tools I know there was some resources online like the five questions or something like that that everybody needs to ask you know their loved one before they get to this hmm. uh, place of incapacitation you know gosh I can't think of a specific one but I, I'm completely I, I guess as you is an advocate of uh, going on the, onto the internet doing your homework you know, you could start with Wikipedia. I mean, we know Wikipedia is not a citable source, but it's a great place to start as far as and Wikipedia is, is looking at the issues. Right. And yeah. they're not giving me a plug today to say <clears throat> this, but it's a great place sometimes to start to just see, you know, the overall and then follow those links, you know, and speak with friends. It's tough. It's tough for a lot of people to just stop, you know, consider it, you know, even for me you know, to stop and, and as an attorney to put together, you know, my estate plan with my family, you know, the thought of passing, you know, leaving my, my, my family and leaving my son, that, that's a hard thing to swallow. So, you know, I think people, you know, there are other areas of laws of law where there's, you know, an urgency, right? Someone serves you with a, uh, you know, with a, a petition, you know, for a dissolution of marriage. Gosh, you got to run and go get an attorney immediately, right? Someone's seeing you for a car accident. Gosh, you got to go get an attorney immediately. You know, you were arrested. Gosh, you got to get an attorney immediately. But the estate planning some people, you know, they wait and they don't feel that urgency. Well, I think it's human nature for us to always think we're going to have time. <clears throat> I know that I console myself with that. Yeah, and that's I agree. Not, <clears throat> that's not necessarily the best way to go, but it is part of part of our nature to put these things off. So, okay, that's the advanced health care directive and some compelling reasons why you'd want to make sure you had that. Um, what about the durable power of attorney? Okay. So the durable power of attorney, there are <coughs> two ways to approach this. I'm sh probably more than two ways, but I'll, I'll simplify it. There's what we call a, a springing durable power of attorney. Springing? Springing. Okay. Okay. So a pow durable power of attorney is someone who you appoint as your attorney, in fact, to when in your moment of incapacity to take care of the things that you would take care of in your financial life. A springing one is during your time of incapacity. So during your life, you have complete control, of course, of writing your bills, which we all have to do, right? Going to the bank, paying utilities, paying the mortgage. But at the moment of incapacity, if you end up in the hospital 
and there's a problem, let's say with anesthesia, you have trouble coming off the anesthesia, and then the doctors uh, make the decision how it's written out. Let's say there's two doctors that conclude that you're incapacitated at this moment. Well, the person you appointed as your attorney, in fact, will step in and be able to take care of these finances, to pay your mortgage at this point from your your bank account so you your house doesn't... Uh, you know, uh, uh, go into foreclosure or anything like that. As far as a non-springing, well, that's a heavy instrument. That is that you're granting someone the power even before you're incapacitated. Now, some people may do that. Sometimes the elderly may do that, and they'll ask someone uh, like one of their children, their adult children, to help. You don't lose your power the way it should be written as far as yourself, but it's adding an additional person. Some people take the informal way, and I think about, you know, even times in my life when, uh, you know, my grandfather was, uh, you know, aging, he's, pe- he's passed already, but my mother would step in, right, and she was added as a joint person to the account. Of course, she wasn't funneling money from him, but she was there, and I see this very often where, you know, an elderly person will have one of their children become, you know, a joint account holder. Problem with that, though, is when you add someone's name to your account and they become a joint account holder, and even though the aging parent is still still their money in the account, well, let's say their adult child now has a judgment against them. They mm. get into a car accident. Well, it exposes the parent's assets. Added, yes, to that account. Mm. So you know, there it's important to really sit down and learn everyone's facts and see you know. And I always call it you know trying to go down every rabbit hole. Right. You know, really seeing how this could play out if this, then that. So good to keep all that stuff separate, but then have the legal vehicles in place that enable you to um, perhaps accomplish what's needed when, when your parent is incapacitated. Correct. All right. Well, very good. So um, one of the other things you put down here on our list is life insurance. Is, is that something that everybody has or has spent money on, or is that kind of going by the wayside? Hmm. Well, I haven't done a, a complete uh, poll of, you know, the people carrying it, uh, I can speak for myself. I'm an advocate of life insurance. Okay. Uh, I, I'm a person to worry at times. You know, you talked about like sleeping well at you know night. I like to make sure you know all the T's are crossed and all the I's are dotted. And part of that is really carrying life insurance. You know, God forbid I'm to pass. I, I want to make sure that my wife and my son, you know, are well taken care of. I think life insurance depends on your age. You know, at my age, where I have a son in sixth grade at this point, I think it plays out very well in my life to have life insurance. Mm-hmm. I think for someone who's 80 years old, I don't necessarily think life insurance is the vehicle for them as part of their, you know, estate plan. Unless they've had it all along, they probably would. Correct. It would be a very expensive vehicle. <clears throat> okay. All right. So you're taking us down a path of um, really educating ourselves uh, on these issues. And gosh, I can remember for years listening to this stuff and really being that person out there. I know there's many of you saying this. Uh, I don't need that right now. I don't need that right now. When when does it become necessary to start looking at that? Like, let's say we're, we're addressing, you know, we're here on campus, we're addressing a lot of young people. When should they think about this and mm. these issues? I think... I think definitely if you have children, you should be working on an estate plan. 
and you want to make sure that your children are taken care of if you pass, when you pass. I think if you're married, it's something very important to understand how the property is going to be distributed between you and your wife, depending on each other's passing. Uh, I think those are two critical moments in people's lives where they should really be setting up some type of estate plan. As far as a 19-year-old in college, I don't think many 19-year-olds have much of an estate. Uh, I do think, though, you know, if someone receives some type of uh, an award, possibly from a car accident, uh, and they have a, a handful of uh, money that they've received, then it's something to consider also, you know, in that circumstance. Well, and um, I was just sitting here thinking that another one would be for the young people to go and ask the question of their parents to make sure their parents have set it up properly because ultimately they will inherit, the young person will inherit the mess if the parents haven't thought through some of these issues. Yeah, and, and we see that. We see that ultimately, uh, you know, getting in front of the probate court. Mm-hmm. We see very often, you know, people fighting, you know, over their parents' property. And sometimes it could be something, maybe that's not of great wealth, but that's of... Uh, you know, family significance and something that's important. Uh, and to cut that off before it happens, you know, is, is, is very critical. You know, and one thing I very often suggest to clients that when we're setting up a trust, you know, and they want to, in the event that they both pass, husband and wife, and that their children are still uh, minors, not to have these outright distribution to children. You know, to have, so let's just say there's the state is worth a million dollars. So we have, you know, 333,000, you know, to one, 333 to the second and to to the third child. But we wouldn't want this outright to go to an 18 year old, right? When they turn 18, give me $330,000 when I'm 18. I don't think I would make great investments. You're buying a sports car. Exactly. That's (laughs) going to depreciate the minute I put my foot on the gas pedal. (laughs) So very often we'll do uh, different distributions, where the trustee will distribute, you know, X amount, maybe a third at uh, 20 years old, a third at 26 years old, you know, and then whatever's, you know, undistributed principal and interest, you know, possibly at, you know, 30 years old. And of course, this is something that's, you know, fact specific to the family situation. You know, often too, I'll see where someone has uh, an irresponsible adult child and they've been irresponsible for a long time and they're very nervous about leaving an outright distribution to their 40-year-old child who they know can easily just burn through this money so quickly. Right. So just like we would set up a special needs trust, we would just kind of trickle that money down, you know, to that adult child and not give them the outright distribution. I mean, there's so many ways to structure it, and that's the key of just, you know, really sitting down, getting through the right questions, uh, you know, taking your time to think about it and putting together what really works for that specific family situation. So interesting. So if you're just tuning in with us, this is Kimberly Martin. I am your host of Real People OC, and we air each and every Thursdays from 4 to 5 in the afternoon. You can listen to us on your way home, on your commute. And we are talking to attorney Scott Feig, he is with the Feig Law Firm, and uh, they work on estate planning and uh, legal services surrounding um, power of attorney. Those are such important issues. You know, I can remember, Scott, that I was an adult, married, and had an estate plan all in place, 
before my parents did. And I had to urge them because my parents have some complicating factors. Both of them were married previously and there were children. And I said, you know, you've got to get this together because essentially what you're doing is leaving the mess to me. And um, so it took, I'd say, a good 15 years for them to get off their duff and get it done. Mm. So, you know, not not easy topics to address, but um, certainly really important to uh, to to work through. So um, what are some of the financial, you know, we were talking early on about um, some of the financial things to watch to off to protect protections offered to seniors regarding some financial vehicles and how they can be useful, but also how they can be misused. Let's talk a little bit about that. Sure. Sure. I know something you and I were discussing a little bit beforehand were the reverse mortgages. Okay. You know, and I know during the, uh, you know, early two thousands, you know, and before the crash and, you know, 07, 08, we saw a lot of reverse mortgages and we saw a lot of, uh, I guess during that time period on a lot of mortgages, we refer to them as, you know, predatory lending. Right. And we saw a lot of trouble with the reverse mortgages during that time where at, at points, you know, seniors were, you know, losing their home. Let's tell everybody what a reverse mortgage is first. Okay. So uh, it, it is a complex device, but I'll keep it very simple. So you have... And for seniors, very often, their home is where they have their is their biggest asset. It's where they have the value. They've been in their home for, you know, 30-plus years. Uh, they could have paid $35,000 for their home, and today they're stunned that it's worth $700,000, and they may have all that equity in their home. Okay. So a reverse mortgage is actually, instead of now you paying a mortgage to the bank, which... I probably will do for the rest of my life at this point, uh, the bank actually pays you the equity back based on a formula between, you know, principal and interest and so forth and, you know, your, your credit rating and, you know, everything that goes into, you know, ultimately getting a loan. But it, ult- it very often is seen as a stream, stream of income to the senior. Okay. So they use it um, to support their current cost of living. Correct. And it can be very helpful but I think the key here is to really become educated on what someone, what you're actually signing. And I regularly suggest when I, you know, go out to, you know, one of the senior centers that I'm speaking with, you know, when someone is presented with a document to sign, you need to sit down either with your attorney or your adult son, your adult daughter, someone that you trust to sit down and give you a second opinion just like that I would get a second opinion at the doctor, uh, just like I still call up my dad today for a second opinion on something, right? Right. I, I don't buy a car without my dad's <laughs> approval. Yeah. They <laughs> I'm ha- 46 years old, and I still call him for that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So to move forward without that, and what we saw is a lot of fine print. You know, back in the early 2000s, so for my home, I'm paying a mortgage for the rest of my life at this point. So I can move out of my house. And the bank isn't going to come take my house as long as I'm paying my mortgage, right? It's usually just a due on sale clause. When we sell our house, we have to pay off the mortgage, right? When we buy another house. What we were seeing sometimes back in the 2000s was that uh, in the fine print that if the senior was out of his or her home for, let's say, a year, then there was a due on sale clause. Oh, wait a second. Maybe the senior uh, is coming back or or, or they had to go to an assisted living or some rehab or something. Correct. Then we were seeing due on sale clause, uh, you know, being enforced at that point. So there's been a number of laws since then for the protection of seniors. You know, one of them really has been 
that uh, you know the lender must ensure that there is some type of counseling involved beforehand, and then there's just a waiting period of seven days, you know, before the document signed. Uh, so a cooling off period is as so exactly. So nobody makes a rash decision to get cash right away, or exactly, or feels the pressure of whoever sold them the loan. Right. So I can, I so as far as saying not to do it, I wouldn't go down that road completely but I would say that it can be it might be their only option and in which case they need to have the proper advice correct and work with the proper advice right it's just the same way if you were buying a car you know I walk into the used lot of course I'm going to take it for a test drive but just as much it's just as important at this stage even though parents aren't used to consulting their children about making decisions but if it is that one asset that you are going to pass to your children they may want to weigh in on how you handle it because then it would become incumbent upon the child to cover the cost of care, which is what the loan proceeds from a reverse mortgage would be intended to do. So you really need to have a lot of parties involved to make those decisions. Right. Even if you think you are really acting on your own. Right. And it's just like with our health, right? Make an informed decision. Right. And that's the key. You know, and the idea is, you know, years ago, back in the 2000s, we were seeing, in addition to these reverse mortgages, that seniors were being required to, you know, purchase uh, life insurance or an annuity. And that's forbidden now. Thankfully, yeah. Many of those reforms have just done a great job in addressing a lot of those predatory practices that we were experiencing. I think the one thing that I wanted to touch on the most about the reverse mortgage is that. Um, there was some lack of clarity as to whether or not it w- would be treated as income for Medicare eligibility. Can you speak to that? Have you actually seen where that's happened? Yeah. Or You know, I other than, you know, really sitting down and just for my own edification to being prepared for when this comes up, you know, as far as an attorney working with the different practice guides that we do and, you know, w- looking at the new law, I haven't seen it played, I haven't seen it played out within my own cases, but I do... I have learned that it is a concern because it can be seen as a stream of income. Okay, rather than just loan proceeds, which is what it's intended to see it as, but um, it it could you know it could put you in a place of ineligibility for some really important health care. Correct. At, at a very important and critical time in your life. Correct. And my advice at that point, you know, if you're on Medi-Cal planning, is to work with a very experienced Medi-Cal planning attorney in that situation if you're seeking that reverse mortgage and to go down that road. And you can go onto the State Bar website, you know, and find one that way or find one through a recommendation. Okay. Very good. Well, so we have just enjoyed um, a delightful discussion with Scott Feig from Feig Law Firm, and that's F-E-I-G lawfirm.com if you want to get some more information. I love that you give classes to the community for free. And so tell me a little bit about some of those courses that you offer on a regular basis. And people I know, they can go to your website to see when those courses are being offered. You have a really nice schedule up there, so that's going to obviously change. But what are some of those courses that people might want to look deeper into this subject? So the ones that I I go out and speak are generally through the California State Bar. They put together a wonderful program called uh, Educating Seniors Project, and it's called Protecting Your Assets. So I will go, and they put together wonderful material as well. So I schedule times at the different senior centers, some that I, I spoke about already and some, you know, that are up on the website. And I will go there for that hour, uh, you know, it's, it's completely volunteer work, to discuss a lot that we discussed today to educate seniors about uh, setting up an estate plan, 
scams to watch out for, uh, how to protect their assets, uh, and hopefully, you know, to help them feel independent uh, and empowered. The idea is that for a lot of seniors, they're concerned about losing their independence. You know, a lot of it begins with no longer driving, you know, and they don't want to lose the independence with their financial life, you know, as well. So, you know, we open up those discussions as far as, you know, for Q and A's. And as far as, you know, through my own web, through my own office in the conference room there, I'll hold different sessions. Some I just do straight, I'll call it, you know, estate planning 101. What's all this talk about wills and trusts? You know, people need to be educated. Some will be just very acute and precise. I'll do ones just on special needs planning. I'll do some just on the blended family. It's a tough conversation to have with the blended family because, you know, new wife, spouse may be very unhappy with husband's other children. Right. But husband wants to leave. Something for his kids, yeah. Correct. So, you know, you walk in, you know, a, a delicate line there. Right. So, you know, sometimes just to get educated. And people don't want to be bombarded maybe with, you know, getting hit with, you know, uh, attorney fees at this point. They just want to learn. Right. And even as far as my own practice, when someone comes in, you know, that initial consultation, you know, there is no charge when people come in for that usually like first half hour with me, you know, because they need to learn who I am, sure. who they're going to work with. And as far as whether this is an estate plan that I would be willing to take on for them as well uh, and to develop some type of relationship before, you know, really we, we move forward and determine what, you know, I would do for them. Very good. Very good. Well, Scott Feig, I'm so glad you came in. And more importantly, I'm so glad you're a regular listener of the show and that you found your way to Real People OC so we can share what's really valuable information. Um, I have one parting question for you. Are you shocked how, how many people don't prepare in this way? Oh, yes. So much. I mean, it was last week, uh, myself and my office, we were at the Lake Forest Senior Resource Fair, and there were a number of booths there. And uh, if I tell you how many people have not set up their estate plan and they wait and they wait and, you know, we're here estate planning attorneys, you know, we're ready. Right. Uh, I try to educate people. And again, you know, I always go back to that saying, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And I know on our website, what's the saying we use? Preparing today, you know, eases tomorrow. Eases tomorrow. Yes, yeah, certainly is the case. Now, that senior resource fair in Lake Forest, is that an annual fair? That is, is an it? annual affair. Okay. So it just happened. So look for that next September. Yes. Um, and you can look that up by just going to uh, looking up senior resource fair in Lake Forest. Um, is it held at any particular location? It is held at a particular location. But maybe it changes. Year. It may change. It may change from year to year. Okay, well, good. Well, listen, thank you so much for your time, and thank you for sharing all that you know about um, what you do here in uh, Orange County. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I very much appreciate it. Very good. Will do.